0: Uh, but uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning is where we're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be at this morning. The, uh, the old time preachers used to say if you couldn't preach over a crying baby you just weren't called. So I'm going uh, to give that test to myself this morning. A little extra, a little extra bass in the voice and we're going to make this thing happen. But we're, we're preaching on this title this morning that a lot can change in a year. And I will define why that is the title here in just a little bit as we get rolling in this. Uh, but, but the reality is that a lot can change in a year, uh, whether that is with trials and tribulations in our life, whether that is, that is growth in our Christian walk, whether that is in the midst of a body, uh, in a church. But a lot can change in a year. And, and I, I, my, my goal this morning is to show you how that, that took place in the church of Corinth. So, if you, if you were here with us about four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I preached on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is coming to the church of Corinth. He's writing them and he's, he's addressing some issues, some crazy issues. Uh, but, he, but he's reminding them that they have a calling on their life. He actually speaks, uh, spends time in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians reminding them, I think, five times that there is a calling placed on their life. And so he goes through, and he, 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 he it's actually a church that he planted in Acts chapter 18, we can find. And so he goes and tries to wake them up because they are, uh, they're a, a lukewarm church. They're a crazy church with a lot of sin problems. And, uh, and then we have this transition. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we have this transition into 2 Corinthians where it's just a different story. They're a different church. Uh, a different work is going on, <clears throat> and it's a very encouraging thing to me as we seek to uh, continue to make disciples here at Greater Hope. And so, again, a lot can change in a year. It's not on your handout, and it's not going to be on the PowerPoint, but if you have your Bible, look with me. Let's just read a, a few verses here to kind of see where we're at. Very, very popular chapter. We're going to read these, these popular verses here. Verse 8 through 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And then we're going to break down in this text really the first 10 verses in general. But verse 8 through verse 10 to kind of see where we're at as we dive into it. Verse 8, he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, he's talking about the first letter that he wrote him. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time that you've allowed us to gather. Lord, I, I, I thank you for the time of worship that we have. That can look like a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, worship is about our heart attitude and, and thankfulness to you for what you've done in our lives and for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would be with this time in, in preaching. I pray that you would give my voice stability, refrain my cough, and I pray that we'd be receptive of your word. And just let it speak to us this morning. Get me out of the way, and, and you be the teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this here, I, I don't think many people would approach chapter 7 as this, but I really believe 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is actually a chapter of discipleship. It's, it's a chapter that, that comes and follows after, this is deep, the first six chapters of the book. And in the first six chapters of 2 Corinthians, again, I told you, Paul has made, an, uh, uh, there's been a huge contrast from what he's seeking to do and, and seeking to communicate in 1 Corinthians, that being in 1 Corinthians, hey, Church of Corinth, you got a calling on your life. You need to wake up. Hey, Church of Corinth, you got these sin problems. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You need to clean your life up. You need to, you need to, you need to submit to the Word of God. And he's constantly going over those things in 1 Corinthians. But then we get to 2 Corinthians, and this is actually uh, a book on, on ministry and how to give your life to ministry. The book of Acts, uh, which Brother Lee's going through uh, now in, in this series, which, is gonna be, which has already been awesome and is going to continue to be awesome, that kind of gives us the Acts of the Apostles, as Brother Lee laid out, uh, what the title of it is. Uh, but this kind of gives you the, the negative side of ministry, if you will. Now, I don't know if you knew that, but there are some negative sides of ministry, and that's because there's people, and we're all people. Now, how many of you know people are crazy? Amen. Uh, and if you, didn't, if you don't believe that, that may be, mean you're the crazy one. Okay, so I'm just saying. But people are crazy. And ministry is a challenge. And so the Apostle Paul, has this, this same church that he was, was landblasting in the first epistle, he's now calling them to ministry. Okay, so I want you to see this. And we talked about this last time when, I, when we looked at, at 1 Corinthians. But your first blank here. The book of Colossians is the greatest charge to Laodicea. Now, I say that because uh, in the book of Colossians, Laodicea is found five times. And we simply just compare Scripture with Scripture, so there's a parallel there. And God, He turns up the volume with repetition. We know that. And so that's our greatest charge. Why is that? Because well, we're materialists, naturally, as Laodiceans. We, we we are rich and increased with goods, or at least we think we are. So that is our charge and our, and, and our calling. However... 1 Corinthians is the most comparable to Laodicea. So the, the very things that the Apostle Paul was, was digging his heels in to the church of Corinth and 1 Corinthians, again, reminded them, hey, you got a calling on your life. you got a purpose to your life, man. It's not just to, to, to live this, this, this life for yourself and for carnal desires. And, and we, we know, man, that, that's, that's what the church of Laodicea has to be reminded of. We do indeed have a calling and, and a mission and a purpose in our life. And oftentimes, we need those certain sins and certain things cleansed from our lives so that we can be spiritually minded. But I want you to notice again, in, in 1 Corinthians 3 there on your handout and on the, on the screen, notice some of the things that he, some of the ways he describes the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 3, 1, he says, and I, brethren... I could, uh, uh, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now I want you to notice he does use the phrase in Christ, so they are believers. The Spirit of God inspired Paul to, to write this letter, and so these are people that have a testimony of salvation, but they're carnal and they're called babes. They've, they've not been discipled, if you will. They have not grown in the word of God. They are not following the Lord Jesus as they should, as they should be. Verse 2. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Nothing wrong with milk. That's the, sim, the simple things of scripture. But that is all he's been able to give them thus far in 1 Corinthians 3. Why is that? For hitherto ye, ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Now this is the deal. It is okay, and that is what discipleship is starting off. It is okay to receive the milk and to be given the milk of the word of God. The problem is in verse 2, he says at the end, neither yet now are ye able. The problem with the church of Corinth was not that they just had milk. The problem was they stayed on the milk. They never got past the milk and got into the meat of the word of God. Not because Paul simply didn't want to give it to them, but because they spiritually weren't ready. They were stuck. They were in neutral. And then notice verse 3. He says, For ye are yet carnal. He says it again. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men. There's many other places we could go in 1 Corinthians where he continues, continues to talk about these kind of things, describing the church of Corinth and, and Again, chapter 5, as we said a few weeks ago, crazy, crazy sin. Like, I don't know of anybody doing that that deed in 1 Corinthians 5 these days. But nonetheless, this was a a wicked, carnal church. But then I want you to notice this contrast in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's the very last verse of the text that we're in, in 2 Corinthians 7. And we can see here that something has changed. Something has changed in this church because he says this, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. So he goes from from 1 Corinthians, and and specifically chapter 3, by telling them that they're carnal, that they're they're babes in Christ, they're not able to handle the milk, that there's envyings and there's strifes and there's struggles and all of these things, to to, to 2 Corinthians. He's engaging them in in what it is to, to be in ministry. That's what he spends the first six chapters talking about. To what it looks like to engage in ministry. And then chapter 7, he lays out, and this is what we're going to do this morning, he lays out what it was that got them to that point. What, what it was that got them to the point where they were able to start getting involved in ministry. Because the, the church in 1 Corinthians 3 was not ready, but now they are. So I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians is a firm rebuke to the church of Corinth. And 2 Corinthians is a letter of encouragement to them so that they will continue uh, in ministry. So again, there's obviously been this, this great transition or great flip, if you will, great change in, in the, the culture and the, uh, the lifestyle and obedience of this church. And we know that because the Apostle Paul did not believe that just anybody was qualified for ministry. We quote this verse all the time around here, but 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So the big, the big prerequisite that we always place there, that we always highlight, is faithful men. The church in, in, in 1 Corinthians, that, that, where they were at as a church at that point, they were not faithful men. And that is why the Apostle Paul was not, as mu- in 1 Corinthians, not as much talking about how they can operate in ministry. He was telling them that they, sh- that they have a ministry, that they have a calling, but he wasn't giving them, giving them the ins and outs of how they can do it because he knew they weren't ready. But because of what we, the way we know the Apostle Paul viewed ministry and that it required faithful men, obviously this transition from Unfaithful to Faithful, has taken place in the church of Corinth. And then this is really where, where, we, where we got our title from, is this, this, this right here. 1 Corinthians was written around A.D. 57. And 2 Corinthians was written around A.D. 58, just simply one year later. Now I say that, and the reason I've entitled that, and that's my thought this morning, is because I've was going through 1 Corinthians. Obviously, it's why we preached 1 Corinthians a few weeks ago. I've been going through 2 Corinthians. And about a week ago, I I came across chapter 7 here in 2 Corinthians. And and man, to to see the confidence that the Apostle Paul has in this church and and him talking about how they responded to his rebuke in the first letter, I began to start thinking, and and, I'm reading my Bible, and I don't have the dates of when these were written in this Bible, and so, you know, it's late one night, and I'm like, you know what? This has to be like six or seven years down the road. Because a lot of times, that's the way my mind thinks. I think that everything's got to be the slow process. And oftentimes, discipleship is that. But sometimes, I've got this mindset that, you know what? It's, it's going to take, take forever before there's ever a difference in somebody's life. And so I went and grabbed another Bible and started looking at dates. And, and, and to my surprise, these two epistles, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, We're just simply a year apart. And so, man, that ought to give us encouragement because we've been praying specifically in our fast. One of the things we're praying for is that people in our church, that they'll be obedient to take the next step wherever they're at. And it could be that your obedience or lack of obedience to taking the next step wherever you're at, to taking the next step could make or break the difference in how you look this time next year. Because a year can change, a lot can happen in a year. I think back oftentimes to 2016, man, it was just a, a, a massive year in my life. Um, I got married in 2016, uh, shortly after started taking blood pressure medicine. I don't know if that's there any, cor- any correlation with that. Um, but later on, I'm kidding, but later on, that's actually my dad's joke. I just use it now because it sounds good. But later on, uh, I got married in January of 2016, and at, at that point in my life, I would say I, was, I wasn't out getting drunk or anything like that, but I was a very lukewarm Christian, and uh, I came to church, I was 21, I came to the church with the mindset that I was just doing what I you know, knew I was supposed to, and uh, I didn't come with, it, with, it, with any expectation that God would move and work in my life, and I normally left. Uh, week after week, month after month, the same way that I entered. And the Word of God wasn't drastically changing my life. Well, So I fast forward a few months into to April of that same year, three months after I got married, and we had a, a, a revival. And a few guys came to preach, and it was nothing really in any message that was just, you know, knocked me down or was amazing. But for whatever reason, man, God began to start dealing with my heart and begin to moving in my heart, really, not that I would be a, a pastor or a preacher. That was not the first initial thing. But, man, God began to start working in my heart that, man, I had a calling on my life. There was, a, there was a work that he wanted to do in me and through me, and that I had a purpose for my life. And, man, I think there's just so many Christians, even here. It's much harder to have that mentality here. But even here, that walk aimlessly. And you almost think that God is a respecter of persons, even though we know the Bible says he's not. And you think, ah, oh, well, that's what they're doing because they're super into this and, and whatever. But man, God wants to do that very same thing in you. And so, man, a lot can change in a year. I often, I often think and wonder what my home life, what, our, what my home would look like if that year had not been so pivotal in my life. And, man, it could be that, again, the next step you need to take, that could be this year. And maybe next year and moving forward in your Christian life, it'll be a pivotal year in your life and, and things could look different. So a few things from this, this text that we want to break down uh, this morning. Number one, I want you to see the Corinthians' receptivity to discipleship. the Corinthians' receptivity, they were very receptive to discipleship. Now, we certainly don't find the word discipleship here, but it is exactly what's going on with the Apostle Paul to this church. Again, this is a church that he went and planted on his second missionary journey in in Acts 18. And and here he is in, in the first letter, and he's trying to, again, regain their attention and refocus them back on what their Christian life's about. And so at that point, man, they had two responses. They could say yes, or they could ignore it. It's the, it's the very two same responses that we always have the ability to choose when being presented with truth from the Word of God. And so it, we found this, that their receptivity to this in verse 8 through 10. Let's look at it. It's not going to be, a, a, maybe it is on the screen. It is. Okay, verse 8 through 10. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent... For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10 For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So this person here, as we devotionally apply this to us, this person here, this could represent a believer that finally makes the decision to count the cost to follow Christ and be discipled. So that, that could be you this morning. You could be on the verge. We've been talking about discipleship for a long time now, it seems. And, and you've wrestled with it. You've, you know, kind of like, ah, that ain't for me, whatever. But this could represent you. And it, it, is, it is the reality that there is a path of growth. There is an opportunity to, to grow in the Word of God to respond properly to the Word of God and and, and be discipled. That's what, uh, in a nutshell, is happening with the church of Corinth here with the Apostle Paul. Why do I say that? Well, letter A, I want you to see this. They received Paul's investment into their lives. So if you're going to say yes to discipleship, what you're going to have to say is, hey, I'm willing to receive investment from another believer. It's a very anti-pride approach to your Christian walk. They receive Paul's investment into their lives. Notice verse 8, what he says here, the very first part of this verse, he says, for though I made you sorry. So again, Paul has gone, he has planted this church, they know who he is, he's he's already been involved with them in ministry, and he comes back to them and he personally calls them out and addresses them and where they're at in their Christian walk in their life. So it was, a personal, it was a personal offending, if you will. It was, a per, it was a personal thing that the Apostle Paul was coming to them and letting them know where they were at. He says, for though I made you sorry. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, the Apostle Paul shows us how he does this with another church, the church of Thessalonica. And, and, he, and this verse speaks so much of how it's not just, you know, leading folks to Christ, but the, the, the necessity for growth and discipleship. But he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, you were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. So he didn't just give the church of the Thessalonica the gospel so that they could be saved, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. So no matter how we break it down discipleship, at somewhere along the line, is a, an investment of, from one person to another. And so if, if it is just to the place, maybe you're discipling somebody right now, if it is to, just to the place where it's just about lessons, and it's just about finishing those 18 uh, lessons, and they complete it and there's been no investment there, well, that, that's not discipleship. That's not what it is. The Apostle Paul invested his own soul. Well, what is our soul? That's, that's who we are. That's, that is, our soul is literally an, an inner tube, if you will, of, of our body. It is it's who we are. It affects our emotions. It affects our personality. It is the fabric of our lives. And the Apostle Paul did that, and he does that here and presents truth to this church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians. And according to the Apostle Paul, it, it made him sorry. It stung a little bit. It dug in and, and, uh, and, and, and caused some, some discomfort uh, in their lives. Okay, But not only here, did, did in their receptivity to discipleship, it's not only about receiving an investment from another person. Most importantly, letter B, they received the Word of God. They received the Word of God. So the secret sauce, although... It's not just about the 18 lessons. It is about a personal investment. It is about life on life. It is about all those things. The secret sauce of discipleship is the book. It's the Word of God. And he says in verse 8 again, he says, For though I made you sorry, how did he make them sorry? With a letter. I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle... Okay, so so at this time, Paul is just simply writing a letter to him. But what do we know now? We know that that letter was Scripture. Okay, it, it got, the Holy Spirit of God inspired it, uh, moved the Apostle Paul to write exactly what he wrote, preserved it for us, and now we have it as as accessible Scripture. And so it was indeed, although it was Paul's personal investment in them... It was indeed the actual word of God that caused them to be sorry. So he says, I made you sorry with a letter. And that is exactly what has to happen if someone is going to be actually changed in discipleship is they're going to have to be receivers of the word of God on a consistent basis. James 1.21, he says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And notice this, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul so at the end of the day and we know this in this church nothing you don't know and haven't heard but at the end of the day this book is what changes our lives we could go verse after verse after verse he says in john seventeen, 17 you're welcome tory she says i always quote that but sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth and so sanctification is the process of growth it is The separating us from the world, and it's done through the Word of God. And so, as we continue to do discipleship, maybe you're in a discipleship relationship right now, as we continue to do this, if it's just about going to hang out with a friend, although the investment is super important, if this book is not what you're going with expectancy from, you're spinning your wheels in mud and you're not going to grow. It's the Word of God. It's, It's us receiving it it's actually first uh, thessalonians as well the church of thessalonica has a lot of good parallels here but it says that they they received when, when paul went to them although he was given his personal life and investment into them as we saw in in chapter 2 verse 8 it said that they received the word of god or they received the word with much assurance and they received it as the word of god not as the word of men and so that is exactly what has to take place if we're gonna if we're gonna make real disciples around here They received, so in their receptivity to discipleship, they received Paul's investment into their lives. If you're going to, if that's you, and and you're considering counting the cost to enter that, you're going to have to be willing to receive an investment from someone else. They received the word of God. That obviously is going to have to take place in your life. And then let her see what did the reception of those two things lead to. Well, let her see it caused them to repent. It caused them to repent. Verse 9, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. So being sorry and being emotional and crying, that's not repentance. It's good if it leads to repentance, but that's not repentance. But that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. Verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation and every time we see salvation in the word of god it's not just a saving uh, from hell It, 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 it can be saving us from other things in our life after the free gift of eternal life and this is what this is referring to for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death and so really as we look at this Man, we've all, I've grown up in church, we've all seen this. I've seen people come to an altar, and there's nothing wrong with emotions. But I've seen people come to the altar, and man, just a, man, the whole church was around that joker. And just tears, and I mean, needed a shop vac to clean up the altar. It was just so emotional. And then two weeks later, you never can find them. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, where we realize we're going one way, but the mind of Christ is going another way, which is the Word of God. And we submit to what the mind of Christ says rather than what our carnal mind says. That's what repentance is. And that really is, what is, is the nutshell of, of what discipleship really is all about. That's, why the, that's how the church of Corinth got from where they were at in 1 Corinthians to where they're at now getting involved in ministry in 2 Corinthians. And so maybe we have people in our church that are not ready for ministry right now, but they could be in a short time, over a short season of their life, if verse 8 through 10 becomes real in, in that person's life. That can take place. And so it caused them to repent. And really, again, that is, that is the, the, whole, the whole nutshell of the Christian life. We continue to be presented with truth, even... We're, we're always growing. Even if there's someone that's a, dis, a disciple in here, a, a, a pastor, a teacher, anything, we are always growing and we're always having to repent and, re, and respond properly to what, the, what thus saith the Lord in our lives. That's, that's what we're called to. So not, not only did, uh, did I, want, I want you to see <coughs> the Corinthians' receptivity to discipleship, But number two, notice the Corinthians' responsibility to continue in discipleship. It's found in verse 1 and 2. But the responsibility to continue in discipleship. Okay, so the the, the first person may, number one, that may be somebody that's considering counting the cost of discipleship. But number two, this could represent somebody that's in discipleship. And man, they're, they're, they're growing a little faint at heart. Because at the end of the day, there, there are always things that can get in the way from, from doing the work of the Lord. It take, there, there, there's, there's commitment, there's sacrifice, there's, there's commitment of time. There are many things, and maybe you think, man, I'm just growing at a slower pace than I thought I would. Okay, maybe this person is represented here number two. But the Corinthians' responsibility to continue in discipleship. Letter A it's actually the same points as number one. But letter A, they must continue to receive the investment of these men. What men am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about Paul and Timothy, because that's who's writing to them here in 2 Corinthians 1, or uh, 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, and Titus, because Titus went to them and was investing in them as well. So if, if this church, although they've already received what the apostle Paul was speaking into their life, they've already received the Word of God, they've received... This discipleship process in their life. Man, the apostle Paul wanted them to, to stay on that same course, to continue in that, to not grow faint at heart, and to keep doing what the Lord had called them to do. So notice they must continue to, if that's going to happen, they have to continue to receive this same investment. Second Corinthians 7 2. It's a really weird verse because he's he is we find in this same chapter that he has confidence in them. And he's preparing them for ministry. But notice what he says. He says, receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. So it's a a church that at this point has already proven themselves faithful. But he does remind them once again, hey, you got to continue to receive us. And the reason why that's so important is because we haven't really had that happen here, but I, I, we've heard of, of other places where disciples are starting to be made and people are starting to grow in, the, in, in the, the Word of God, that sometimes if the Word of God is not continued to be approached properly, this spirit of pride can start to creep up. And it could be, well, you know, I kind of know how to study the Bible now. I kind of I got it going on. I got this deal figured out. And, man, that, we have to stay in this, this, this mode of desperation that, hey, we're, we're willing to receive in counsel for those that the Lord's given us, so He says, "Hey, continue." He says, "Receive us. You've already you've already repented at what I first told you, but I want you to continue to keep that same that same hard attitude in this. Let her be. Not only that, did they need to continue to receive the investment of these men, but again, it's the same the same thing. It's the literally the Christian life here, but they must continue to receive the Word of God. They must continue." To receive the word of God. I was actually talking about this with Chandler yesterday. But again, okay, what is a disciple? If someone truly becomes a disciple of Christ, again, it's not just somebody that gets a certificate that says they made it through 18 lessons. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a student. So I would propose to you that if somebody makes it through discipleship, but they in and of themselves never become a student in their own walk with this right here. They're not a disciple. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a student. And so if they're going to continue on that path of growth and get where the Lord wants them to go, they must continue to receive the Word of God. And again, with receiving the Word of God, that goes goes so much further past just approaching this based on knowledge and academia. But approaching it Saying, Lord, speak into my life. It's that whole adding virtue to our faith. And as our faith begins to grow and then we add knowledge, man, if we don't reapply the virtue to that knowledge, then what, knowledge puffs up. And so that hard attitude of continuing to receive the Word of God with humility and receptivity is so crucial. So notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 7.1. It's the same thing that he taught, that they had to do initially. Not only did they need to receive them, Paul, Timothy, and Titus, but verse one, he says, having therefore these promises. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking specifically about the promises that he lays out in the first six chapters of 2 Corinthians, which parallel some of the Old Testament references. But it's those promises. But for us, it's simply the, the promises that we find in the Word of God. Well, how am I going to continue to grow? Hey, by knowing that I have these promises and submitting my life to them in faith. That's how I'll do that. That's how I'll continue to receive the Word of God with humility. He says, having therefore these promises. They receive the Word of God to first initially repent, but Paul wanted them to continue to do so that when repentance was necessary, that would be a continual thing in their life. And then, let her see. Again, the same points as number one. But he wanted them to continue repentance and a right response. So that was still required in their life. Repentance and a right response was still required. So notice this. He tells them in verse 2 to receive them after they already have. But but chapter 7, verse 1, he says, They're having, therefore, these promises. Dearly beloved, what's he want them to do with those promises? What does he want them to do with the Word of God? Let us, with those, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Amen. And I like the fact that it says we must cleanse ourselves of the flesh and spirit because there's going to be some things in our flesh our and carnal, our carnal man that we're going to have to continue to cleanse. But you know what the lowercase spirit speaks of in our life? That's oftentimes our, our, our attitude. Sometimes our attitude, even if we're doing the right things, it needs, needs cleansing. And that cleansing is going to come from a right response to the Word of God. So let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And again, like I said, that means it can't be approached simply from the terms of academia or knowledge alone. But it must be with virtue. So again, maybe, maybe you're here in, in box number two. You're, you're in discipleship uh, it's a grind, whatever, maybe you, know, you haven't been meeting faithfully or whatever, man, I want to encourage you to, man, to stick with it. I want to encourage you to, to maybe, maybe you need a rekindling of how important it is that you're being discipled. It's easy to get callous to things and be like, oh, you know, whatever. Maybe that, that's needed in your life. The Apostle Paul, a good cross-reference for this thought, is Galatians chapter 6. We can't be forgetful of that, that we will indeed reap what we sow. But he says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So if you, you show up to discipleship, you show up to church, you show up with a, with a heart of humility and expectancy from the Word of God, hey, he promises you will reap what you've sown. It's going to happen in your life. In verse 8 he says, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting and notice verse 9 right here oh this is so big for those of us for those that need to continue where they're at and let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap and notice this phrase here if we faint not man let let it not be said about about your life that you got involved on the right track of growing in the Word of God through discipleship, but you grew faint at heart and never got to the place the Word wanted you to get to. we got, we got to remember that, that the Old Testament Jew pictures the individual Christian. And most of those people that were saved out of Egypt, they died in, they died in the wilderness. They died in a, in a life that was unfruitful. And if we're honest, we all know people, especially considering we're in Laodicea. I've known, I've known person after person. They're good, they're good moral people. They're not, again, they're not getting drunk on Friday nights. They're not doing all the crazy stuff. But man, this is just not a priority. The mission is just not a priority in their life. And they, if they continue that course, will die one day with an unprofitable judgment seat. Being as moral and as sound in all those things as they can be, but not making the mission and these things a real thing in their life. So let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want that to encourage you this morning. If, if that's you and, and you're in discipleship, you're, you are growing. And then number three, not only did they, re, they receive discipleship, Not only did they have the responsibility because once they've been given this investment, Paul has poured into them time and energy and attention. They had this responsibility to continue in those same things. But then number three, I want you to see Paul's reminder to the disciple or minister. This would apply to someone involved in a certain ministry as well. But Paul's reminder to the disciple and minister it's sort of like he spends most of chapter seven talking about his confidence in them, talking about what they've done to get where they're at, talking about what he wants them to continue to do. But then he carves out this little, this little section here where he just kind of he's kind of just given testimony of things in his life in this whole process. and things that, that God has worked in him because of what's been going on. So Paul's reminder to the disciple, letter A, and we, if you've been involved in anything in ministry, you know this is true, but it, it's not going to be easy. So we can sort of have, like you will, a, a refresher on discipleship or a little pep rally, a little thing of emotion here. But it doesn't mean that when we walk out and, and, and Monday comes, it doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden easy. It's not promised to be. That's why the Lord Jesus actually calls us soldiers. And that we have to endure Hardness. Because it's not promised to be easy. Notice this section. Paul's reminder is found in verse 4 through 6. Look at verse 4. He, he talks about these challenges that he faced, not only when he came to plant this church, but as he began to invest in them. He says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my goring of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all, in all our tribulation. And Paul is acknowledging, hey, in the, in the midst of this, it is perfectly, I'm perfectly able to call this tribulation. Verse 5, he says, For when we were come to Macedonia, notice this. This right here, th- this right here will make the carnal Christians say, No, thank you. He says, Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. without our fightings, within were fears. So the enemy... Typically, as somebody begins to get serious about the work of the Lord and invest their life in discipleship, whether that's wherever you're at, whether that's being discipled, discipling, whatever that looks like, we can see here that the enemy works primarily through two things. He works through disunity. So normally, most churches, when they have problems, it's not from somebody crazy on the outside. Do you know what we say when there's somebody crazy on the outside? Well, they're crazy, they're crazy and we're going to get them out of here. But it's normally problems from within. Now, we don't have that here, praise the Lord. But that is always something that the enemy is seeking uh, to work through. And as we continue to engage in discipleship, we continue to want to, to make disciples and to, to evangelize. Man, mean, if, if, if things continue to grow and get real, you can, you can guarantee, man, the Lord, uh, the, Satan is going to try to use disunity to prevent that. Notice he says that without we're fighting... And they were troubled on every side. There's problems going on. But not only does the enemy work through disunity, but notice the last phrase, the last phrase there after the comma in that verse, but the, the Satan works through personal fear. He says, within were fears. And so we kind of talked about that with 1 Corinthians, about how to prioritize our, our fear, and where we place our fear has great outcome on what we're going to do in our Christian life. But at the end of the day, Satan does work through fear. His, his, his boys, if you will, they work through fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Okay, so if it comes from a spirit, and it's not the Holy Spirit, then you take a guess where it comes from. It comes from the enemy. And so oftentimes, the enemy will use that in your life. There's, there's probably been people in here... Man, they, they didn't really, they didn't get involved. They haven't gotten involved in discipleship because they're fearful of what that's going to look like. They're fearful to be, to be vulnerable. They're fearful to, to lay their life down. They're fearful of, of, of those type of things. And Paul experienced those very same things as he was investing his life in the church of Corinth. It shouldn't have come by any surprise to the church of Corinth because in, at the, the very last chapter of 1 Corinthians, he gives them these same two things. Notice this. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. Okay, so that's an open door is always for the work of the Lord. Notice this, and there is many adversaries. There's there's there, there are adversaries, there are people that are trying to cause problems to the work. And then verse 10, notice this. He says, Now if Timotheus come, who is one of the three men that invested in these people, he says, See that he may be with you without fear. Isn't that interesting? that he may be with you without fear. The Apostle Paul knew very well the things that the enemy would use to try to prevent the work of the Lord being done in this this church. And so we can, can, for those that are discipling somebody else or ministering to somebody else in a ministry, we can be reminded that it's it's not promised to be easy. It's the old saying, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. You notice not everybody's doing it in the church collectively in, in America or in the world. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But then letter B, and, and, and you know this, but letter B, what he does say is it will be worth it. it it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. Notice in the very same verse, in verse 4, he, he, he tells us that there's tribulation, but notice what he says here in verse 4. He says, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my goring of you. He says, I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in our tribulation. Crazy thing. And then later on in verse 6, he says, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So two things that we see that Paul tells us is going to be worth it, or, or why it's going to be worth it. Is because there is comfort in surrendering your life to the work of the Lord. And again, you may be on two sides of the coin of that right now. That that surrendering to the work of the Lord may look like getting trained and equipped and discipled right now. And you may be on the other side. that That work of the Lord looks like you investing yourself in someone else. Taking that LFBI class. Again, whatever that next step is. But there's comfort in surrendering your life to the work of the Lord. Notice how Paul starts off the book of Second of, of Corinthians. Again, it's, it's a book of ministry. And he, he very quickly gets into this after his greeting in the first two verses. He says, Blessed be our God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us, uh, us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of the Lord. Man, you think the Lord, as somebody is seeking to slug it out for the mission and to continue to surrender their life to the mission, you think the Lord knows when that individual needs his comfort? Do you think the Lord knows when that individual needs just that touch from him and that, that word or whatever that may be? The Lord knows who we are. The Lord knows what we need. He's promised to supply all our need. And the Lord, for those that are willing to continue to surrender their life in the work of the Lord, He knows how to give that person comfort. But then secondly, not only is there comfort involved in this life, but there is joy in giving yourself to the work of the Lord. Again, two things that seem to be polar opposite of tribulation and distresses and fears, but yet they can both be present. There is joy in giving yourself to the work of the Lord. Notice again what he says in verse 4 of the text. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Again, I said there was a lot of parallels to the church of Thessalonica and some of the ways that Paul invested in them. But notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2. Why is it that Paul could have joy even though there were struggles, even though it wasn't easy, even though there was some enduring required, even though there were fears, even though there were fightings, even though there were, there were tribulations? How did he have joy? Well, verse 19, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He's asking the question. Then he answers it. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Notice what he says in verse 20. For ye are our glory. And joy, man—the very people that Paul invested his life into—they became his joy. Well, why is that? Well, because we see in this that our crowns that we potentially can receive at the judgment seat of Christ—they are directly connected with personal investments we make in other people. We say it all the time: there's only two things eternal that we have access to: it's the word of God and the souls of men. And the investment that you potentially, again, maybe you need to be discipled, but down the road, man, we want you to disciple somebody else. We want you to minister and invest in in somewhere, some type of ministry on this property. And the the personal investment that you can make in other people has direct parallel to the rewards you can one day receive in eternity. And so I kind of think about it like this. I don't know if you're like me. I'm kind of weird. But I like to always have something to look forward to. Like, uh, I, I take a couple golf trips a year, enjoy those, and I like vacations and stuff like that. But, like, so for, for, the, for years, me and Tori have, have uh, done a vacation in September because I always, I told her, I was like, I don't want to bring them all up front in the year because I want to have something to look forward to. Well, really, w- where Paul's coming from here is that the person that lives surrendered to the work of the Lord, they're putting all their eggs in the future. They're putting all their eggs in the basket of what is to come rather than what's been done in the past. And so it gives us it gives this, 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 this feeling and this experience of comfort and joy. This is what I know. When someone invest their life in the work of the Lord continually, even if there's struggles, even if there's problems, even if there's issues? What I know is that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, what you know is, hey, you know what? I can't, I can't make sense of everything, but I know that I'm seeking to surrender and to present my body a living sacrifice the best that I know how. I'm seeking to give my life to what God has called me to the best I know how. Know how and that simply results in comfort and joy. Notice what, what Paul says a chapter later in 1 Thessalonians. But he says, Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Very similar tune here. But notice what he says in verse 8. For now we live. So he's about to describe what real living is. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. So real living is directly tied with the investment in souls. So again, as we close, notice, notice this contrast. Notice this contrast between, between with the church of Corinth. From 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3, again, he says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And then the very last verse of our text here in 2 Corinthians 7, again, just one year later, just one year later, he says, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. So my question for you this morning as we look at all this is, are you profitable for the ministry? Are you profitable for the ministry? You know, the, the mega church mentality would say, man, we just, we just got to sell the church and get as many people in here as we can. And you know what? We, we're, we welcome everybody. But what the Apostle Paul would say is, are you profitable for the ministry? Are you equipped? Have you, have you been discipled? Are you growing in the word of the Lord so that you can invest your life in some There are many people in scripture that we see take, kind of have this same, this same uh, transition, if you will, as the church of Corinth. Mary Magdalene, she started off as a demon-possessed harlot and ended up as a worshiper of Christ sitting at the the feet of the Lord, hearing his word. John Mark went from from deserting Paul on one of his mission trips to, to at the very end of Paul's life, he called John Mark profitable for ministry and then was used to actually write the book of Mark. And then Peter, one of my favorite examples, and this is actually the subject... Uh, It was actually Jonathan McNeese and that revival I was talking about closed uh, the closing message of the deal and and really motivated me to examine my own Christian life and to come to the realization that, man, our Christian life, every single one of us, it matters for eternity. But Peter went from denying the Lord Jesus to being used to save thousands. And so again... In all of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, what I just want you to see is a lot can change in a year. And it could be that you're, you're one decision away for whatever that next step is to growing in the Lord. And, and, and man, eternity could look so much different if those proper steps are made. I'm going to pray and then I'll let Brother Lee come. Lord, I thank you for this time, God. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the mission and a purpose to live. God, I... Uh, I pray that we would continue to be disciple makers here, Lord. Thank you for this church and it, it being mission focused and, and and caring about eternity. Lord, I pray that you'd move and work in the hearts of your people in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: If you would just just bow your head right there for a minute, um, just maybe take a <clears throat> take a minute and. Um, Just look at your you know look at your own life it's sometimes we like to change we like to change to beginning of the year. There's classes that Sarah Joe and Claire. Ruthie take in high school and there's always a a rubric there's always a way they lay out how they're gonna grade papers and how they're gonna grade final exams and what they're gonna be looking like what they're gonna look for for them to pass the class and get get a good grade they never deviate they never deviate from the rubric though no matter what it it, no matter how absurd it seems no matter no matter how unfair it may seem you never deviate from what the rubric says now i want you to i want you to look at your life in light of the bible not in light of what what you feel like the bible should say or what you have already made up in your mind as the rubric because the Bible's the rubric but there is nothing else and so you look at your life not based on what you've heard about the Bible not based on what somebody told you personally about the Bible you look at what the Bible says you look at what it says you listen to what it says and so we, we, we have to look at our life in, in, in that light. There's not another light to look at it. I mean, sometimes I think we make the mistake of, of maybe playing by our own rules and hoping that the Lord will just say, yeah, it's okay. You tried. And, could, and I, I really believe that there's a lot of growth to be had in every single person in this room in one year. How do you know that? Well, it just takes a little bit of studying to look at this Corinthian church and see that you're, you're already in a place way better than they were to begin with. <laughs> they, 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 were, they were off the chain. I mean, they, they were so carnal. It, you're, you're in a good spot. You've got a good foundation. All you've got to do is start putting some things in place to build off of it. Maybe this time next year, it would be completely different. Maybe we just start taking discipleship so serious. And we start taking it so real. Because what what we don't what we don't see. Is all the people that we feel like are killing it in life, they're going to go to the judgment seat if they're saved. And if they're killing it in this life, they won't kill it in that life. Amen. We got a lot longer to live on the other side than we do in this one. Just consider it. Just consider. Consider that this morning. What am I living for? Man, what a great message. I wanna pray for you before we go. Maybe just consider, man, what, Lord, what does what my life look like in terms of this, what I heard this morning? Lord, uh, thank you for, for a Bible message that cuts to the heart of the very matters of the heart of God. Lord, there's, there's no way around it. There's, there's no getting around what you want to say to us. And Lord, we, we heard from you this morning. We heard the word of the Lord this morning. We heard from the Lord. We didn't hear from a man. We heard from the Lord. And I, I say thank you for letting us hear from the Lord this morning lord you're so good to us you're so faithful to let us hear from you now lord may we take and do lord may the uh may the the things that we have received this morning may may we do them today uh, may we make a decision to do those things god we we don't have long we if, if it, lord if i'm lucky i got A little over 30 years left on this planet. That's not a long time, Lord. Lord, if you don't come back, which I feel like you will, but I've got a little over 30 years, and Lord, in 30 years' time, Lord, there's got to be more pastors. Lord, there's got to be another pastor for this church. Lord, there's got to be another pastor for the church down the road that in five years is not going to have a pastor. Lord, for the church, it needs to be planted. For, Lord, for what it's going to look like for somebody to get a heart to go to a, to a mission field one day. And Lord, we cannot forget that. Lord, it's so much bigger than ourselves. And may, may we see it. Lord, use this thing today. Use it for your glory. Lord, may each one of us contemplate what our lives look like put up against what we heard this morning. And if it's not real and it's not growth, God, may we fall on our face in earnest repentance. Lord, may may maybe we could find a leader here and 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 just say, hey, I, I, need, I need to take the next step. I need to get serious about this thing. And get humble before the Lord. And just walk to whatever we need to walk to. Lord, thank you again. Thank you again. I, I pray that you bless this. Thank you for Brother Dylan. Thank you for, um, for him being faith, a faithful minister. Uh, Lord, that has indeed studied to show himself approved unto God. And, uh, and I'm grateful that I get to minister with him and uh, Lord I, I can't wait till we get to celebrate to together um, the ministry uh, next week as a group 10 years being here and and uh, Lord we've went I feel like we went the long way on a, on a lot of stuff um, I feel like we're we're kind of like children of Israel and one way or another taking way too long a trip to get somewhere we could have gotten way quicker but we know that that our steps are ordered of you and so lord we we just pray that you use us and um and that we be content with with uh with how you use us and um so lord bless this time uh, bless next week use it or we're gonna Celebrate! We're going to enjoy you and, and what you've done and the uh, many milestones that you've allowed us to see. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, all right. Well, I love y'all. hope you have a good rest of the day. And um, maybe you try to get home and beat the rain. I know it's supposed to be coming. And uh, how many of you understand that? The longer you live in Georgia, the more you understand that the wet, not just people, but that the weather has a real sin problem. <laughs> like, like, it gets worse every year, and uh, and we all get sick from it. Like, uh, those three or four days of sunshine have uh, have just evaporated and here we are uh today with like a high of 43 and raining so um you you try not to get sick and uh and maybe it'll be back up to sunshine and 60 for a couple days next week and uh so i love y'all don't forget next next week now if you have not signed up for something on uh the email went out for sign up genius for next week anniversary sunday make sure you do that and uh again make sure uh, tell brother Dylan how much you enjoyed this morning I sure did appreciate it and enjoyed it myself so love you have a good rest of the day and I'll see you on Sunday or Wednesday Wednesday
0: feel the same old holes inside there's a better, life. There's a better